Have you ever uh, like wake up the day after tragedy strikes, like after there's been a death in your family or um, you've just had a rough week, maybe you lost a job, maybe like uh, you're not even sure in that moment because the previous day was so emotional, like what has even happened to you? And it's like you still have this feeling of like it's a new day and it's a new morning and yet uh, kind of sitting on top of you like a weight on your chest is this knowledge that like when you get up, you still have to face the pain and the tragedy of yesterday. Um, if you remember where we left off in the book of Ruth, that's kind of the setting as we head into chapter 2 that uh, we have just been through chapter 1 and we've seen Naomi uh, and her daughter-in-law Ruth experience great pain and great loss. Uh, after uh, living in a land with famine, uh, they chose to uh, abandon the land that God had called them to and given to them and move out of country to Moab to uh, try and find food there because of how uh, desolate and uh, how uh, just desperate they were in their situation. Uh, while there, uh, the sons both marry these two uh, Moabite women, foreigners, not from their culture, uh, not worshiping the same God that they did, uh, Ruth and her uh, sister-in-law Orpah. Uh, then tragedy strikes the family as Elimelech dies. And then just a short bit later, the text indicates the two sons, Malon and Kilion, pass away as well. And so Naomi returns home. Orpah decides to go back to her homeland while Ruth promises to stay near to Naomi to worship this God, this Yahweh that Naomi worships. And then we leave the chapter with Naomi saying, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me sweet, beautiful, lovely. Call me Mara because the Lord has made me bitter because the Lord has afflicted me. He's let pain come upon me. And then we closed uh, verse 1 with those uh, final words setting the scene for the season that we would head into for this barley harvest that was to come. That's just where we'll pick it up this morning uh, in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family, and his name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find and entered the field? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. And so Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz who was from Elimelech's family. Now, just as chapter 1 ends with this phrase at the beginning of the barley harvest, which is going to foreshadow the way that God in his sovereignty is working out to care for Naomi and Ruth, uh, this chapter 2 starts with those just few words. We're introduced to a new character before we even meet him, just getting in our mind that there's going to be this person stepping into the story that we're going to need to take note of, and his name is Boaz. It says, now Naomi had a relative, had a relative on Elimelech's side, the husband who passed away. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Now, how do we translate this? How do we understand these ancient words that he was a noble man of good character from Elimelech's uh, family? Uh, he was a hot, hot hottie, okay? Right? 
They're saying this man of good character. This means he was likely uh, probably a man of some wealth. We'll uh, meet more of him in a moment. We're already shown just in these first verses that he owns um, some land uh, that, that, that Ruth is going to end up going out to try and gather grain in. But we're introduced to this guy and we're already having these seeds planted in our mind that he's a good guy. He's of noble character. He's a prominent man of status. He's an attractive man. I just think that because it's a love story. Um, but also like uh, the text just lends to it that this guy um, is someone to take notice of. And so the text gives us these two indications of of what's going to happen because uh, the narrator, the author of this book, knows the story that he's writing, indicates to us that the barley harvest is going to come. And this is where God is going to step back into Naomi's story, even though it looks like he's stepped out of it. That we're going to see the barley harvest, we're going to meet this man named Moab. But at this moment, at the start of chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi still aren't sure what's going on. So Ruth asks Naomi, she says to her mother-in-law, Is it okay if I go out into the fields and I gather grain behind the harvesters? Now what Ruth is doing in this circumstance is she is taking advantage of really an ancient form of caring for those who were without. Uh, that in the Old Testament, there were provisions made that, that what you were to do when you harvested your field is that you were to uh, not bend over and pick up what you dropped as you were harvesting. You were to leave uh, the corners of your field unharvested. And this is how uh, the foreigners and, and widows and those who were destitute would be provided for. And so what Ruth essentially asked Naomi is, is it okay with you if I go out and I panhandle? Like, this is the situation that they are in, that the only way that they can conceive of to get food is for her to go out and take advantage of the social safety net of their day. Now, and you got to realize that one of the reasons I think Ruth asked permission of Naomi to do this is that Ruth knows that this is an extremely dangerous thing for a young woman to do. Uh, remember the period that this book is taking place in uh, during the time of the judges and the way that the book of Judges closed out heading into Ruth saying this was a time when every man just did what was right in his own eyes. That it was a lawless time. It was a time uh, when for this woman, Ruth, to go out into the field was extraordinarily dangerous. Where it doesn't take too much of a jump of your mind to figure out what might have happened to her. Uh, It indicates here that that what Ruth was to do was she needed to ask permission to take favor in some way. Even though this was uh, something that was provided for those that were poor. It says that she knows that she needs to uh, find favor, ask some sort of permission. Um, I think in this we see just all these little tinges of Ruth's character. The fact that, that they're broken and destitute and she still says to her mother-in-law, Hey, can I, can I have your permission because I know I'm still in your household and I, I reflect on you. That I've pledged my, uh, my allegiance to you, my loyalty to you. Is it okay if I go out and do this? And Naomi gives her that permission. And it says that Ruth went out and she entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And then these words are phenomenal. It says, she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who is from Elimelech's family. Just happened to be there, right? Just happened to be there. Really? Uh, this phrase here, just happened to be, uh, is an interesting phrase, and it indicates to us that, that from Ruth and Naomi's account, there was no planning that took place, right? 
There was no planning. They, they didn't know that she was heading out into Boab's field. Ruth's a foreigner. Uh, the text is reminded of us of this. It's going to, uh, you'll notice, call her a Moabite woman or uh, a Moabitess over and over again, reminding you of her, her lack of status in Judah, reminding you that she wasn't like the people around her, that she stuck out in some way, that she was a widow, that she was a foreigner, that she was destitute and poor. Uh, some commentators even think she was probably dressed as one who was mourning because of the loss of her husband. In Texas, she just happened to be in the portion of the field. And this indicates that she didn't plan it, and yet it was not outside of God's sovereignty. But the author of the story wants to point us to this truth, that even though Ruth and Naomi feel like there is no control in their life, even though if they feel like the world is just spinning and passing them by and they are down and depressed, that God is still in control, even in their suffering and in their pain, that God's faithfulness has not left them. The author of the book is making this distinct claim that God is still in control, and this is the answer to Naomi's statement of if the Lord has or has not afflicted her. That though, just like we talked about with that song, Though You Slay Me, that though uh, uh, trial and pain and suffering has come into the life of Naomi, the author of this book is indicating to us that even though that has been allowed to come into their lives, that still God is in control and he is planning for them to provide for them through this human man, Boaz. This is provision that exists despite despair. And in this, I think we get one of the key takeaways, even though we're early in this chapter, of what we'll see in this chapter as a whole. And so we want to kind of show our hand a little bit, uh, kind of reveal our cards here, that what we're going to see in this chapter is how God has sovereignly started to provide, to care for, and to restore Ruth and Naomi. Now, this book is called the Book of Ruth, but don't lose track of the way that this book is also starting, is trying to show you God's faithfulness to Naomi. I think you could really, you could almost call it the book of Naomi and be just as appropriate in what this book is truly about. Because God is not only faithful to Ruth. God does not only honor Ruth in her uh, uh, displays of faith. He also honors Naomi despite the fact that she is challenged in her faith in God see this window into the provision of God despite whether or not we've sinned, despite whether or not we are right or wrong with God in that moment where we are angry and upset with him, whether we are doubting him and our, our faith is challenged or whether we are righteous, we see God stepping in to provide apart from all of that. We see his planning in this, in putting Boaz there, in Ruth happening to go and step into this field. We see that happening completely outside of their effort or their planning. So often, I think the challenge for us when we try and uh, think about whether or not God is faithful to us is we think we need to see the plan stood up in front of us. We think we need to see uh, not just the moment that we're in and the next step provided for us, but we think, I need, to, I need to be able to see beyond this so I can understand the whole thing. But God is not working through the efforts of Ruth and Naomi at this point. He, he's just working in, in general. We see that God's faithfulness extends beyond the present circumstance that they exist in. 
His faithfulness is not dependent on whether or not they are suffering in this moment, but his faithfulness is dependent on whether or not he will come through in the end. Picking up at verse 4. Later, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And they re- replied, uh, Boaz, or sorry, the Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since the morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. And don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars that the young young men have filled. She fell face down and bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor with you? So that you notice me, although I am a foreigner. Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land. How you came to a people that you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you. You have comforted me and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. So we see this uh, first introduction, this first meeting between Ruth and Boaz, and it is storybook-esque, right? Came in on some sort of, uh, of chariot. Um, I like to picture it now in our modern day as, you know it, church, a Tesla, right? Not just a Tesla, like Model S P190D, okay? Ludicrous mode enabled, okay? You can look it up later as some Bible research. It'll be good for you, right? He comes in. This is, this is the chief of his in this long paragraph that we just read. Uh, first, the way that he greets his servants. What are the first words that we hear out of this uh, new uh, main character in our story's mouth? He says, the Lord bless you. He immediately invokes a blessing on his servants in the name of the Lord. And we haven't seen this name spoken in this way in the chapter so far. That when Naomi is asking whether or not God has afflicted her, um, he's calling her the the Almighty or Elohim. And in this way, though, Boaz uh, references this given name of God, this name of God for his people to call upon him. And he says, the Lord be with you. He blesses his servants and then his servants reflect that back. Uh, showing something really critical, that, that often the test of someone's character isn't just their character, but the way that that character is displayed in the people whom they lead. That the best reflection of who he is is in the way that the people who work for him, those who are in his care and provision, and who he has authority over, the way that they behave, and they respond back in the exact same way. The Lord bless you. What else do we see? Well, we see that his servants have been kind. We see that his servants have taken notice of Ruth. They have allowed her to gather this grain uh, behind them as they harvest. They've been kind to her, and they haven't touched her. They've left her be. His servants are kind. 
we see that he is kind. Uh, Boaz ha- has told his servants not to touch this young woman. I think as, as we read it that we see that this is probably an instruction um, already given to them before Ruth even arrived. His servants were instructed to live in an upright way. Uh, what does Boaz do when he meets Ruth? He prays for her. He says, everything you've done for your mother-in-law, this is verse 11, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been reported to me. How you left your father and mother and you came here to this, in your native land, how you came to a people that you didn't know, and he says, may the Lord reward you for what you've done. And may where you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you came for refuge. He prays for He asks for God to see the faithfulness that she's had to her mother-in-law. He asks for God to see that she has sought refuge in the land of the one true God, in this place with God's people where God had promised to reside and to care for them. And so he prays for her. Now, now Ruth is just blown away by this, right? She falls to her knees in front of him. She falls to her knees. And what's interesting here is we see uh, this story playing out. And we see that that Ruth is thankful for Boaz. But Boaz is seeing insight into what's happening in Ruth's life in a way that Ruth isn't seeing it yet. Right? Because uh, while Boaz is saying, hey, the Lord is providing for you in this way. God sees what you have done. God is being faithful to you. Ruth says, you have found favor with me. Ruth says, I found favor in your eyes, Boaz. You're caring for me. And yet Boaz continues to point her back to the righteousness of God. And so this answers, or kind of brings up a question for us of how do we deal with it in Scripture when we see these pictures of righteous people? Like what should our response be when we see these things laid out, when Boaz is presented to us in this way? Now, was Boaz likely a perfect person? Heck no, right? Boaz was, uh, Ruth is certainly not a perfect person, yet we see her faith put on display. And so I think we need to handle this uh, in two ways. One is this, that we need to remember that the ultimate one whom we look to for righteousness and for perfection is Christ. We look to God, who is the image of God's person, who is the perfect reflection, the perfect outsee, our standard for righteousness. And then when in the Bible we see someone demonstrating righteously, we don't lift up that person as our model, but we see them as a person who is appropriately reflecting the goodness and the righteousness of God in the same way that we are enabled to reflect the goodness and righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And in this, we're trying to avoid this risk of thinking that what our job is to do is simply to emulate goodness and instead to realize that what our job is, is to recognize the goodness that only comes from God and then to beg God that he would work this way in our lives. And so you're not wrong, gentlemen, especially if you're single, to go, this is a check sheet for me, right? Step one, Tesla. Step two, tithe. So I can maybe, no, just kidding. I'm... You're not wrong to work through this and to see Boaz's noble character. You're not wrong, ladies, to see these expressions of how God has reflected his righteousness in Boaz and think, I I should have those, but you want to make sure you're looking to the right place for them. 
And you're not thinking, oh, if I could only be as good as this person. And instead you're thinking, oh, if Christ would only transform me more and more in the way that he has promised to do so. So we think about our sanctification. That as a believer, as one who's placed their faith in Jesus, who has trusted in the work of Christ, in his uh, perfect life so that he could be a sacrifice for our, our sin, in his, uh, in his death that covered over with that blood that was shed to pay for our sin, in his resurrection that offers us new life, in his ascension that gives us a picture into who he really was and the glory and who he is as the Son of God and as of God's promise of his return and our place with him someday in the kingdom as we think about this Jesus this truth of the gospel that we hear this promise that God is working out our transformation and so for us as believers through the power of the Holy Spirit we want to lean into what God is doing but we want to remember that it is God who is doing continue to read this story here verse 14 time for the first date at meal at mealtime, Boaz told her, so this is probably lunch, uh, maybe evening dinner. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat uh, behind the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain amongst the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. All right, so this is the romantic part, right? This is as romantic as it gets this week. And then uh, next week, Rob's going to teach his first sermon, and it's going to get even more romantic. And I decided I couldn't do it because I like to make jokes off the cuff, and it probably would have gone poorly for all of us, okay? So we're thankful for Rob. Um, but this is the romantic part, right? It doesn't feel that romantic because uh, you don't live in this time, but this is romantic, okay? He says, come be near me. Now, this is a big deal, right? This is a big deal. Uh, uh, who, you, who you sat with, uh, interactions between men and women were often limited. And so he, he says, hey, hey, Ruth, come here and come near me and dip, uh, dip your bread in this vinegar sauce. Woo! Right? <laughs> vinegar sauce? Yeah, he did it. He offered it up, his vinegar sauce. Don't go too far. There. I don't know what that means, okay? No, he's offering her like something completely unnecessary, but just to make this meal more pleasant. He's saying, he's saying come near to me. Let, me. let me give you some uh, something extra. Uh, next, he offers her roasted grain. Now, this was known to be a, a really fancy food. Like, this was uh, uh, something uh, unique and, and select. And so he offers her this thing that just points to the fact that he is honoring Ruth. He is honoring this foreign woman. Remember, she just said just a second, second ago, like, you've honored me uh, like your female servants, um, even though I'm not like one of them. Like, Ruth knew that she stuck out like a sore thumb. And, and so to Ruth, for her to be selected in any way, shape, or form, for her to be chosen in any way it is just mind-blowing for us. And so in this, we see this amazing, we do not look like we belong in the good graces of Jesus. You do not look like you are one who Jesus should say, hey, come and sit near to me and let me just offer you some blessing in addition to the provision that you didn't even expect to receive. 
You don't look like one whom God should give that much favor to, but God, in the same way that Boaz has looked on Ruth, he has seen beyond who Ruth is, and he has seen in Ruth the way that God wants to bless her richly because of his goodness. In the same way, you and I have been offered a seat. You have been offered a position near Jesus. He has offered you some of the best that he has to offer just because he's good. Just because he's good. We see this picture of Boaz starting to reflect the goodness of God back towards Ruth in this special moment and these unique foods and giving her beyond what she needed for that day. Like, I, I don't know, like most of us in this room, I mean, just to be honest, probably most of us haven't um, lacked in major ways. And maybe you have, and if you have, like, man, you get an insight into the scripture beyond what a lot of us probably have. But to be in a moment where you have nothing, and then you're not only provided for, you have leftovers. And then the way that Boaz begins to provide for Ruth, that he says, hey, hey, continue to let her gather grain here. Like, don't, don't move on to another field, Ruth. You keep being here. And then he says to his servants, hey, don't embarrass her. Don't make fun of her. Don't, don't uh, rebuke her. Uh, don't mock her for who she is. Let her gather grain. And as you're gathering grain, you pull some full stalks out and you leave them on the ground for her. And Ruth, you, you not only are going to go behind and pick up the leftovers, you can go over to all the bundled grain that these men have gathered, and you can gather from there, too. This is unheard of. Boaz reflects the goodness of God as he goes far beyond what was expected of him, as God shows his provision for Ruth and Naomi in these actions. Verse 17. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. Uh, she beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. Uh, she picked up the grain, and she went and she gave it to her. And her mother-in-law said, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked for and said, the name of the man I worked for today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him. Because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And so Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to go work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. We see here, here uh, Ruth gathers 26 quarts of barley. This is probably somewhere between uh, 25 and 50 pounds. This is, this is several weeks worth of eating for her and Naomi. She was hoping to go out and just get enough for that day. Maybe that week she's hoping to gather in this day. And she comes back, arms overflowing. And so Naomi rightly is surprised and said, where did all this come from? I love the way this paragraph plays out. The, the Ruth indicates that she's met this man named Boaz, but she really doesn't know who he is. She says, yeah, it was this, this man named Boaz. And you can almost see, like, as you read the text, like, Naomi's mind start to work as she realizes, like, no, 
Boaz is a relative of ours. Boaz is a relative of ours. And she says, he's not only uh, just a relative of ours, he's, he's a close relative. And he says that he is one of our family redeemers. Or maybe your text says kinsman redeemers. Now this phrase is important. This is going to play out for the rest of the book. This idea of a kinsman or family redeemer. Uh, what this is, is a male relative who, uh, according to the laws of the Pentateuch, had this privilege and maybe even responsibility to act on behalf of relatives who were in trouble or in danger or in need. Uh, this, this term here uh, for kinsman redeemer, it, it designates one whose job it was to rescue, to step in and to help family when they were without. And a big part of this was the idea of continuing uh, that family's line for one who was without children. Now, there's a few questions that come up here. Uh, so, so what does this mean for Ruth? Well, it means that there's this little picture and glimmer of hope. That there is someone who she might be able to be with. And Naomi starts to see this. And Naomi is getting where God is pointing, I think, and starts to work with her. You stay in that field, girl, okay? So you stay in that. You don't go, don't go get grain anywhere else. You stay in that field. You get as close to Boaz as you can, okay, right? Like Naomi sees the way that God's goodness is starting to play out, and he says, she says, stay, stay near to this place. We'll see Naomi even go further, trying to push uh, Ruth into God's uh, perhaps provision that she sees working forward from this point. Now, the other question I have is, is, is did Naomi not know that there were relatives back here at home that could marry her daughter-in-law's? Right? Because she tells her daughter, she says, hey, don't, don't, come, don't come back with me. There's no one for you back in the land of Judah. There's no one for you to marry back home. I can't have another kid to continue our family. Even if I could have another child to continue our family, it would be years and years and years away. So did Naomi know or did she just not think of this? What's going on here? Um, I think two uh, kind of equally weighted possibilities. Naomi doesn't know who survived the famine back home. Second, it seems like there is an assumption that because Ruth, again, is a Moabite woman, and, and referenced here again, right, a bring foreigner, because she was not uh, by birth a, a Jew, she wasn't a member of this town or this family, that the assumption was that no one would take the burden on of this woman. That no one wanted her. That she was just destitute and she was, uh, she was widowed from her husband and this was not going to happen for her. And so we get just the start of a picture of God's faithfulness to Ruth and Naomi. And for us, as we close this out, we want to lean into the reminder of God's faithfulness to us. And so we've talked about like the way that God has, in the most extreme way, displayed his faithfulness to us in Jesus on the cross. And that is the foundation for God's faithfulness, that he cares for us, that he keeps us near to him. But, but I just encourage you as we close this chapter out, as we head into the next two chapters over the next few weeks, would you just take a moment this week? Um, I know some of you did this in city groups this week, just to think about how God's been faithful to you. That as a regular exercise in your life, we want to think about the faithfulness of God, um, both in a backwards and a forward sense. Would you take a moment and think back to maybe that moment that you thought about at the beginning today? Like that, that, that day when you woke up after tragedy had struck. That, that feeling of not knowing how you were going to get out of bed and how you were going to get through that day. If that day is distant in your past, 
and you trust in Jesus, I would all but guarantee that you can see the fingerprints of how God guided you through that struggle. That you can see how God cared for you and how he was faithful. Think back on the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God in our past, the faithfulness of God that we see in Scripture, that is ammunition for the times in which we think that God is not there. Those are constant reminders to us of how God has cared for us, and that gives us then fuel to remember how He will care for us. That we want our reminders of the faithfulness of God, not to make us think uh, how, how, how good we must be that God would look at us in that way, but instead to make us think, this is how God is good, and so when I'm in that next moment or season, which maybe for you is today, of not knowing if God is going to be faithful or not, of not knowing if God's hands are in the situation that you find yourself in today, that as you look back on the faithfulness of God, in your life, in Scripture, and ultimately through Jesus, who is raised up as the grandest example of God's kindness and goodness to you. How He will provide for you. And so we're going to close in prayer. And I just encourage you, as we do this, to reflect on God's faithfulness, to thank God for it. Uh, and then I just want to close with this, just to say, like, if you're not sure that you have this kind of relationship with God, to remind you, that the access to God's faithfulness is simple. That scripture tells us that this salvation, this entering into the promise of God's goodness and faithfulness to you, even though you may still suffer, you likely almost certainly will, that this faithfulness of God is a free gift for you only through placing your faith in Jesus who paid for your sin and who rose from the dead to offer you new life. That if you place your trust in him, and whether that's been something that's been working out for you month over month, whether that's something that you're thinking about more deeply today, I, I would encourage you to lean into that. To decide what you think about you and your relationship with God through Jesus. And embrace the goodness that he has offered to you and the salvation that Jesus has provided. That through grace, he has offered you salvation. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for drawing near to us when we were running far from you. God, thank you that when we walk away from your faithfulness, it follows us. And that, God, all we're called to do is to turn, to repent, and to walk back into the way that you have provided for us. I thank you for the moments in our lives where we have felt like that it was all lost and how we've seen it play out, that you and your goodness have had a plan. That we didn't just happen to be in the situation that we were in, but you, Lord, worked through it. And God, I pray that, that in the days to come where we will feel uh, lost and out of control, that you would remind us, Lord, through, through stories like this, through the testimony of our lives and others in our body here, Lord, that you are faithful. And that you have richly provided for us. And you will continue 